fantastic episode of Feed the Fish, and in this week's episode, we're telling a story. In my garden when I grew up, there were these white snail shells. Um, we had a lot of snails, uh, and you know snails' shells are normally brown and stripy. You see them in cartoon books, and we had these all over our garden. We had many snails, and I don't know why. And it seems like some somehow the plague of snails has ended but when I was a kid the plague was definitely on and there were hundreds of snails all over the place and they loved the plants in our garden and they loved to spend time there they loved to enjoy recreation in our garden this was the place to be if you were a snail but snails die and when they die they leave their shells behind and so there were very many snail shells in our garden. Being small children, we decided what we would do is we would barter with these shells. We would we would use them as money. We would, we would uh, trade with them. We would spend them. We would accumulate them. And of course, the different colors of snail shell would have different values. The brown ones were about fives, uh, but, but there was a very special snail shell. The white snail shell, which had been in the garden for so long we couldn't quite remember how it got there. I really wanted it, but my brother had it. Now here's some context to the story. In the bottom of our garden we have a tree. We don't have it anymore. We now have a pool where the tree used to be. We had a little grass section with a path. and We had a tree in the front garden, a, a tree that was easy enough to climb in it had a little low Y and then a branch that went out to the right of that. So, well, it depends how you walk around the tree, I suppose, but there's a branch that went out. So it's almost like a little Y shape and then there was a branch you could crawl out on and you could jump from the branch to the grass below. Now, the other bit of context is that we lived on a mountain and it's not, not well, I suppose on a mountain is exactly where we lived. So. The, the, the house, the garden, the whole thing was sort of angled. And so what happened was the property was arranged into these little terraces. And each terrace was separated by a little low rock wall. But not the kind of rock wall that it uses rocks as bricks. No, these were just loose rocks with pointy edges and, and, and spikes and shoulders and all that kind of thing. Just lumped together and concreted into a row to kind of prevent everything from going downhill. The tree was next to one of these terraces, this rocky outcrop, this dangerous wall, which posed no danger whatsoever if you were at its level. Now, here's another bit of context. I noticed that cats always tend to jump out of anything and land on their feet. And so I started to wonder, ever being a little bit of a scientist, whether it were the case that all animals falling, all kinds of creatures falling, would land on their feet. I mean, I'd seen some mice and they just tended to land on their feet when they jumped. I saw kangaroos, not in person of course, but I'd seen them and they tended to land on their feet. What about humans? Well, I climbed up the tree, I leapt to the grass, and landed on all four feet. It worked perfectly. 
It couldn't have gone better. But out of the corner of my eye, I saw my younger brother watching me. Now we were small, we must have been about six and four, or maybe seven and five, or however it goes. We weren't, we weren't old, we weren't big. We were small, but thought we were about three times the size and the age. And when he saw me, he wanted nothing more than to jump out that tree like I did. And I, of course, wanted something that he had. I wanted the white snail shell. So I said to him, knowing that, of course, this was a great opportunity uh, to do a further experiment and find out if, in fact, humans landed on their feet. And so I said to him, you know what, I'll teach you this highly desired and specific skill set. If you pay me for the privilege of imparting this knowledge. You can pay me. This is a skill that I've developed. I've, I've learned how to jump out of the tree, how to climb it, which way, which angle. I've learned how to do so in a way that you can't even begin to fathom. But because I have the skill set and I'm so generous, I'll share it with you. I'll give you this ability, but you'll give me the white snail shell in return. He had it on him, of course. He guarded it at all times in case of theft. And so he said, I'm in. I'll do it. I'll, I'll jump. Teach me. Well, I showed him where to climb in the Y of the tree. I had to pick him up and, and hold him there because he was too short to get up. I showed him how to get on to, out onto the over, over, uh, overhanging branch. How to climb out on the branch as it swayed in the wind over the rock wall. And I coached him to leap. He did land on all fours. He also landed with his head on one of the rocks. I remember seeing the blood gushing out of my brother's still form lying there. And I thought to myself, Matt, you've done it, you're a murderer. This is what it feels like. In the Cain and Abel story, you're Cain. It was a bit of a, a dark realisation to realise that I was guilty of such a heinous crime so young. I took a moment to reflect on that, and then realised it might be better to call for help than to reflect on my impending arrest and incarceration. Which is what I did. I ran upstairs. I called for help. And anyway, long story short, my brother was taken to the doctor. Uh, my brother received a great number of stitches in his head and ever after has been known as Harry Potter because of the scar on his forehead, which remains to this day. Now, there's only one loose end, one thing to tie up, one, one question remains. What about the white snail shell? The white snail shell was in my brother's pocket when he jumped. And it was crushed in the fall. So for all my effort, for all my teaching, for all my training, I received nothing for it. Apart from a very grouchy brother. And I shall leave the tale there. But what about a fact for the week? 
Here is a particularly interesting fact. You've heard of the term a canary in a coal mine, I'm sure. Uh, they used to have canaries because canaries were particularly susceptible to changes in, in the oxygen levels, and if things went badly, the canaries would die first, and they'd have them in these little cages. What you may not know, of course, is that apart from the animal cruelty, there was actually some foresight there. Because some of the cages for canaries used to come with an oxygen cylinder trapped to the top of the cage. And if the bird began to show signs of carbon monoxide poisoning, well then you could open the oxygen cylinder and revive the bird in the cage. And possibly yourself, if you were fast enough. And now for my final segment, Discover. What should you discover this week? You should go to Twitter and you should follow QI. Uh, they, the QI stands for quite and the I stands for interesting, uh, which that fact is not particularly, but QI it is. Uh, it's not IQ, don't confuse the two. QI is quite interesting. It's a British television show where basically you earn points for being interesting, not necessarily for being right, and there are certain words you have to avoid in answering the questions, but the contestants don't know what those words are. Uh, Alan Davies is a long-standing member of the panel and is generally on every week and he almost always loses so he doesn't seem to have learned anything at all from all his time being there. But that being said, that being said, they have a Twitter channel and on their Twitter they are always posting quite interesting facts by the QI elves who are not small woodland fairies and creatures but are instead a group of people whose job it is to research outlandish facts for the television show and then to prepare them for the questioner, who at the moment is Sandy Toxic. And that is the Discover thing for the week. Uh, go and have a look at their Twitter account, have a look at their interesting facts. Uh, this is where I found the canary in a coal mine fact. And there is a delightful picture, in fact, of the cage with a little glass window to one side, which is really rather amusing. And what can only seem rather sinister, a door which seems to have an o-ring rubber seal so you can seal the bird in there with the oxygen tank and carry it underwater. For what purpose? I have no idea. In any case, that is all for this week's episode of Feed the Fish, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Even though I won't see you, you'll just hear me for another episode of Feed the Fish.